We have been, uh, we're talking about the eternal purpose, obviously, and uh, in the last couple of weeks we've talked about, um, we've talked about, uh, I guess in a sense we've tried to answer the question, what is Christ doing in us? Um, just about every Christian would say that Jesus is in them, um, and yet if you ask them what he's doing in them, uh, the answer to that question, I don't know if they don't even ask that question, but I, I don't, I think you get a whole lot of different and, and maybe some strange answers, uh, or maybe just absolute, um, confusion with the question, uh, because I think that most people that might, oh, I don't even need that plugged in, so. I think that most people don't really think about that. What is Christ doing in me? Uh, we just think, well, he's there. You know, he lives there. Sometimes I feel him. Or, but there's a difference between between feeling that he's there and and experiencing what he's uh, what he's there for. And so we looked at uh, three general categories: uh, worship, true worship, um, ministry to his own body. And, and and purification, which are uh, which are the, which are the, I think the three main categories of what you see going on in the priesthood in the old covenant, and that's what Christ is seeking to do in you. He's not just there to just to visit. He's there to uh, set up uh, true worship unto His Father, true life giving ministry unto His body. And to transform you, your soul, into uh, His image, and and I think that all the, again, I think that if you read through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, that's what I see going on there. I see God living in the midst of a people doing these three things, and all the rules, all the ceremonies, all the pictures have to do with those three general uh, activities, um, and so. Uh, uh, you know, you you have this people, going back a few weeks just to kind of bring our minds to where we are today. You have this people that are born out of death. You have this people that are baptized into a death and then come out as one new man. Israel, my son. We spend a lot of time talking about that. And and yet they're baptized into a relationship that they, they, they come out in, in the morning into a relationship that they don't understand. They have no idea. And every one of their rebellions and golden calves and, and, and uh, grumblings and everything just manifest, reflect a complete lack of understanding of the relationship. And that's exactly, my, the reason I'm saying that is that's exactly the state that, uh, that, that we are in now. Um, I mean, that the church, I think, is in now. We've been baptized into the death of Christ. We don't know what that means. We've been raised up with Him into His life. We don't know what that means. And now we have Christ, the eternal Son of God, living in our soul. We don't know what that means or why He's there. And um, and so God begins to reveal that relationship. That's what the priesthood is all about. That's what God did in His priesthood. He, he, he tried to, to any heart that was willing to see, and to everyone now that goes back and reads what He tried to describe, he described what he, how he established, saw the relationship, what he was doing in their midst, what he was 
what he was uh, trying to do in his people. And it was all... It was all going somewhere. First, he's he's establishing and defining the relationship with Israel, and then he he never mentions anything about his kingdom, in, in um, except for a couple of little statements that they're going to be a kingdom of priests. But all of those chapters, those books, they're all about defining the relationship. Because if you don't understand the relationship that God has established with us in Christ then any increase of Israel is going to be an increase of misunderstanding. Any, uh, any amount of filling up the land that happens subsequently to this relationship being established is going to be the filling up a land with, uh, with idols, really. Because every idea that isn't God's view of the relationship is an idol. Every idea that you have, and let's just face this together because it's, it's, it's strong words, but it's true. Every idea that you have about Christ, about God, that has relevance and validity in your heart, that isn't his view of what's real, is an idol that he's trying to cast down. It's an imagination that's risen up in you against the true knowledge of God. It's not just an innocent little, oops, I didn't really understand that. It's standing in the way of the truth and you're worshiping it. Whether you, If it's something about God that you think is true and you're relating, trying to relate to God in that way, it's an imagination, it's an idol, it's something that you have formed in the image of something you have seen. That's what an idol is. You may, may not have carved it into, into the, an image with, with a tool, but you have carved it into an image in your life. It's something that you're doing or thinking or feeling or wanting or serving or whatever that has no bearing uh, on the truth. And so uh, so first God establishes the relationship. And only when he has, he has defined the relationship in all these ways and defined what he's doing in the midst of his people. And only then when he has a people that actually will walk in that relationship to some extent by faith. Um, because the whole first generation didn't, they weren't interested. God didn't change His purpose. He just waited for another generation who, who, who would, to some degree at least, by faith, uh, walk in the relationship that walk in His view of the relationship that He had established. So, but what, what I want to get into today, again, just I like to always kind of like zoom out big picture and then zoom back in so that we can look at what we're talking about in the light of a bigger picture. We're talking about what God wants. Okay, that's what the eternal purpose of God is. If that's if the eternal if the if the phrase the eternal purpose of God sounds a little bit high and lofty, just just scratch it out and and put what does God want? That's what we're talking about. What is he after? Why did he create? Um what what motivated his heart to even have a creation? What motivated his heart to redeem that creation, to save them, to bring them into himself? Why did he do that? We've been talking a little bit of the what, and today um, today I, I want to talk a little bit about the why. The the what I, I see it like I have this little diagram here, and if I didn't, if we weren't kind of low on time, I'd probably draw it up there. Although there's something quite beautiful already up there. Um, I don't know if you can see it here. It's just my standard little diagram of, uh, you know, here's uh, Egypt, the Red Sea, and here's the kingdom, which is one new man. And I put here, it's in English, right? Yeah. Uh, I put here the what, 
the priesthood, the what, and then over here, the kingdom, you can see it's this in, in, in a color diagram, like this color here, that's filling up the, the kingdom of God is the same color of this man here. Because the kingdom is nothing more than the increase of the what in a, in a very specific land that God owns. Okay? That's what the kingdom of God is. It, when it comes right down to it, it's not something different than the priesthood, but it has to do, it's not something different than this reality, this relationship, this worship, this ministry, this purification, but it has to do with that reality filling up something from corner to corner until there's nothing left in that land that God has bought with the blood of his son, which corresponds incidentally to your souls individually and corporately the, the body uh, the, the, the church is in buildings and it isn't flesh and bones either it's 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 the place where God dwells it's the it's the tabernacle of God it's your soul and and so it's not something other than this relationship the kingdom of God and and, and when the, let me just finish my sentence I get kind of excited uh, the it, it, it is that reality and relationship and life and worship and 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 and, uh, and transformation filling up uh, something that he has purchased and 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 his and he says it so clearly he says my purpose is to fill this land with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. That's what I'm going to do. And even when he finishes doing that in type and shadow, the prophets still say he hasn't really done it because he's because that land, that natural land, was always a picture of a spiritual dwelling place. Uh, a, a spiritual dwelling place where he is seeking to bring about the the increase of the what. The increase. Of, what did he do? Where do, you want, where do you go in the Bible to look for what God did? You go to the priesthood. Where do you go in the Bible to look for why he did it? You go to the kingdom. Okay? The kingdom answers the question, why? I think. I think it answers the question of why behind everything. And, so I want to make some basic statements here about the kingdom of God today. All kind of in keeping with our desire to answer the question or at least point to the answer point to some parts of the answer of the question what does God want what's his eternal purpose the first thing I want to say is that um, the the reality of the reality and substance and experience of the kingdom of God is going to be the fulfillment of the pictures promises types and shadows that God has given us about that give us given us in, in, in Scripture uh, of of the kingdom. Now that may not sound like very a very meaningful statement to you, but lots of Christians talk about the kingdom of God. But if you ask them, what did God promise about that kingdom, or what did God demonstrate, what did God illustrate? How did he? How did he show? How did he promise? How did he describe it in the Bible? You would you probably get a lot of blank stares. Um, you know, people say, "Well, I'm serving the kingdom of God," and, and if you stop and say, "Well, what is the, what is that kingdom?" You know, they, they would say, "Well, you know, it's it's like it's the good stuff that God's doing in my church 
or in my business or in the world or you know they, 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 it, it, but but friends there's hundreds of pages of the bible dedicated to nothing less than painting demonstrating illustrating uh, prefiguring defining god's understanding god's view of the kingdom of god so much so so that so that when Jesus came, when, when, when the person who brought the kingdom came, the primary thing that he said over and over again was, the kingdom's come. The kingdom that you should all be very familiar with. Because I've been, you know, I've been talking about it for a long time. Through a long series of types and shadows, starting really in Joshua. But especially... Uh, picture it in its most clear form and, and, and David and, and, and Solomon. Uh, but then, even after that, the prophets, uh, Daniel, the, the, the whole thing is about a kingdom. A kingdom that comes and, and is in itself the removal and judgment of, of all other kingdoms. A kingdom that's coming, that's not made with human hands. A kingdom that, that comes out of this, it's a rock, and it strikes and it crushes it, it, it beca- that, that rock becomes the judgment of this giant statue who, that represents all the other kingdoms of the earth. It destroys it. it not, not physically destroys it, but, but it, it, to God, it puts it away. And then the, then the rock itself grows into a mountain, and God calls that mountain the kingdom of God. I mean, what is that? I mean, what, what, how, how important must that be for us to understand? We, well, we don't, we don't really think about it. And if we do think about it, um, you know, we think it's we think it's future. We think it's natural. We think about um, well, there's so many different ideas. Um, I, I didn't last week. I, I I shared. I just you know sometimes if I want to know like what what the common ideas are about things, I just type it into Google. You know, like what is the kingdom of God? You know, and then I just get this list. Last yeah, this week I did that. What is ministry? Remember, and I, I made that list of. Uh, that, that church that had like 55 different ministries, um, none of which I think were really defined by the person who is ministry uh, being offered to his body. But what is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, it's it's kind of, in the church today, I think it's kind of whatever the heck we want it to be. You know? To some people, it's a really exciting future state in the Middle East, you know, to some people, it's uh, a Christian business that grows and becomes very financially prosperous. For some people, it's the millennium. For some people, it's it's you know just it's just the church. It's the same thing as the church. Their understanding of the church, that is, uh, you know, what what is it? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's, it's, it's not going to be anything other than the fulfillment of everything God described in the types and shadows and pictures and promises. It's not going to be anything other than that. And, it, and it's going to be, and it, well, put it, put it, let's put it positively, it's going to be the actual coming, the actual experience of the substance and reality of everything that God did promise. Yeah, right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and 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 that's that's where we're going. 
That's where, because that's what Jesus says. That's part of the, you know, what's called the Lord's Prayer. So, I just want this to really sink into our hearts. If God has had one idea in His heart from from the beginning, and, and the kingdom of God starts in Genesis chapter one, I mean that's where the, that's where the pictures of the kingdom of God start, where He creates a uh, He makes a creation, and then He tells one man who's a picture of another man to to increase, fill, reign, subdue. Govern, and there's all these words, most of those words, depending on the translation, but are right there in Genesis chapter 1. So, so right from the beginning, there's a creation that's made, and God is saying to the first man, who was a picture of the second man, and the first creation, which is a, per- a picture of the, of the new creation, right in the very first chapter of the Bible, fill it, he's telling the first man, fill it, have dominion over it, subdue it, multiply in it. And, and, and there's the kingdom of God. There's something about it. Chapter 1 of the Bible. So, my, here's what I'm trying to say. If God has had one idea in his heart, one view of the kingdom, before he even created a world, and, and then he, he created that world, and just like I said in Genesis 1, and, 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 and then he, he makes that world, at least his design of that world, not, forgetting for a moment, the fact that we've changed the design for the world through sin, but his design of that world was a prefiguring of, of this kingdom. And then everything he did in Israel was unto this kingdom. And then the, the way that he, he established the nature of this kingdom was so carefully set up through this man David. And in fact, every king after David in their kingdom for hundreds of years is only ever compared to the model established by David. Remember it says, and this king rose up and he was not like his father David, and this, this, this. Or this one was like his father David. Or this one was not like his father David. This one walked in just the ways of his father. And it's all compared to David because David is kind of like the tabernacle. It's It's the pattern. It's the pattern of something. You know, make sure you build this exactly according to the pattern. Natural pattern of a spiritual reality. So, I'm still trying to spit out this one sentence. If God has had one idea in his heart, and he he gave us pictures of that in natural creation, and then he gave us a whole bunch more specific pictures of that in Israel, how in the world do we have the right to invent our own understanding of what the kingdom is? I mean, can you see how absurd that is? before he even before there was a world God was thinking about a kingdom and, and and everything he put in the world was a picture of that kingdom in one way or another and everything he did in Israel he killed people to paint a picture of that kingdom <laughs> that's a big deal you know what I'm saying like people died as an illustration of how that kingdom works People died when they tried to change the pattern of the kingdom. I mean, this is a really big deal. And here we come without any reference, without any thought, to to, to a couple thousand years of of, of pictures and promises and and types and shadows of, of the kingdom of God and, and, and ignoring everything that is said in, in the New Testament as well. 
about the establishment of that kingdom and how we're brought into that kingdom and everything about that kingdom reigning. And you, forgetting where Jesus even says the kingdom is and, and, and what world it's from, because he says it very plainly. We run around trying to either make the kingdom of God or wait for the kingdom of God. Now that, friends, just those two things alone, without even trying to, 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 to define all of our silly ideas about it, that should strike you as as really awful. You know, I'm not trying to put... I don't, I'm not feeling guilt about it, or I don't want to put guilt on you, but, but something should arise in your heart that says, okay, then what is the kingdom of God? You know, and how do I experience the? What's the nature and substance of the kingdom of God? How do I find it? How do I know what what is it? And and those are some questions I want to look at in in, in the coming weeks, and really try to try to leave uh, leave you with at least some some somewhat clear thoughts as to what is the kingdom, where's the kingdom, and how do you experience the kingdom of God? Because Jesus said, it has come. That's like the main thing he said everywhere. He didn't run around saying, forgiveness of sins have come. He did forgive sins, and he brought forgiveness of, he brought freedom from sins in himself. But, but, what, but what he announced, what he went around from city to a city announcing, what he told the 12 and then the 70 to announce was, what, what, what do we tell the cities when we go out? Tell them the kingdom of God has come. And, and I just, I just, feel, I, I remember when it first struck me, like, we don't preach the kingdom. We preach, you know, going to heaven one day, forgiveness of sins, serving the church, waiting for the rapture. We, you know, we preach a lot of things. But we don't preach the kingdom of God. And the reason is really simple. We don't know the kingdom of God. It's just that easy. So... I, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that we understand. Generally speaking, I know I know there's exceptions to this, and I've and I've actually been reading some some authors recently that that, 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 that know that know that really did see and experience the kingdom of God, and and and, it, and it's um, it's thrilling uh, to, to to read people that the Lord showed the kingdom to, you know. But if we're going to talk about the, the fulfillment of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, first of all, like I said, it is the fulfillment of what God has painted pictures of, given us, given us types and shadows of. It's going to be that. And if we're talking about anything that's being fulfilled, remember what we said last week or two weeks ago? I can't remember. We, talked about, we were talking about uh, the, the priesthood is fulfilled. What did that mean? That meant... That the way I define fulfillment is the arrival of the substance itself. And the arrival of the substance always involves a change in nature and place. Okay? Whenever, whenever you can take, I think you can take any word in the New Testament where Jesus, whether it's the law and the prophets, whether it's circumcision, you know, uh, whatever. Take circumcision. When, when, cer- the, the fulfillment of circumcision has come. Paul says, Colossians 2.11. You know, what is it? Well, it's a different kind of circumcision. It's different 
in these primary ways. It's different nature because it's not physical, it's not natural, it's spiritual. It's the removal, Paul says, of the entire body of flesh through the circumcision without hands. The removal of the body of flesh. But it's also not external. It's internal. It's a new nature and it's in a new place. It's not outside of you anymore. You can do that with anything. The temple of God. It's changed. How has it changed? Well, the substance came. Jesus said that. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. He was talking about the temple of his body. It says it right there. What's different about it? Different nature, different place. Worship has changed. We, we, we talked about how we don't really get this. But worship was external. And, and, and it was a bunch of types and shadows in, in the, in the uh, sacrifices and offerings and incenses and fragrances and all that kind of stuff, right? And yet, in our covenant, Jesus says, there's a new kind of worship. It's in spirit and truth. And Paul and Peter describe it. The fragrance of Christ rising up to his Father from the inner man. It, there's been a change. The substance has come. And what was the substance? Well, it's a change in nature and place. You see? Well, the kingdom of God has come. And that kingdom is the, the, the arrival of the substance. And that arrival of the substance has a new nature. What does Jesus say? That my kingdom is not of this world. We don't believe him. You know what I'm saying? We don't actually. We read it and we just think he's talking about angels and demons fighting in the Middle East or something. I don't know what we think about that verse. It's not of this world. And then he says, in, in the most clear way he could, I think you could, I don't think you could possibly say it clear. Don't look around for the kingdom of God because it's not seen with, in Greek, ocular evidence. Usually in the Bibles it says uh, visible or um, visible evidence or something like that. But it's not seen with a natural eye because. The kingdom of God is within you. And that Greek word is just inside of. Despite a few translations attempts to change it to among you. Uh, it's inside of you. Any other place in the Bible where that word is translated, it's inside of. And only there we've tried to make it about... Not most trans- translations actually do say inside or within, which is which is perfectly right. So... When we're looking for the substance of the kingdom of God, we have to at least start with some of these fundamental things. We have to start with the understanding that it's, it's going to be the fulfillment of everything God has described. And right then, if, you, if you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what God has described... That's a good place. That's a that's a good thing to understand. As a, I mean, don't don't like shoot yourself about that. That that that's that's a good reason to start reading uh, the Old Testament. That's that's a good reason to start reading First and Second Samuel. D- Daniel, I just mentioned Daniel, Zechariah. Uh, well, Haggai and Zechariah both talk about the uh, the the kingdom and the priesthood coming together in one. Um, 
I mean, if you wanted to, I could give you a list of specific places to really, I think, that, to check out. But we'll, we'll get into some of this stuff. I'm not going to get into all the details of the kingdom. I just, I'm trying to bring the kingdom into view as, as this big what God is after. Okay? So, I want to, I want to try to, um, having, having said that, let's, let's, I want to try to give a, a bit of a working definition in words. And, and words don't really define. They just kind of point. But... Um, let me try to, um, I'm going to try to give a little paragraph or something that, that seems to me to be, um, a relatively accurate definition of the kingdom. And remember the definition, um, the definition of the kingdom in God's mind doesn't change when there's a change, when there's a change from shadow to substance, the definition of the kingdom stays the same. What, what I'm trying to say is, um, there's not one idea about the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, and then there's a new idea about the kingdom of God in the New Testament. It's the same idea. The change isn't in the idea. The change isn't in the definition. The change is in the substance, in the place. Okay. That's that's where the change is, and it's always that way. When God takes something from the old to the new. He never redefines it. He only fulfills it. Okay? He only brings in the reality of it. And so God's definition of the kingdom is going to be the same thing in both covenants. And what, what I think you see in, and again, think, think primarily right now because uh, I think there's no better picture of it than David. Think primarily of what David did when I, when I read this. Or, or, or think... Or think about what Christ is doing in you, either way. I would say that the kingdom of God is his reign or government. It's it's a reign or government in which all created things come to align perfectly in nature, purpose, mind, character. They come into a perfect alignment a perfect congruency with the Lord Himself. Or you could say it's an environment. And by environment, I mean land or creation or people. It's all the same. I'm not talking about a physical land or a physical creation. I'm talking about you as a new creation or you as the land that God purchased with the blood of Christ or you as the people, the corporate people. It's this, that's why I said it. That's why I use the word environment. It's this environment that comes to be a perfect reflection or expression of the king and his nature and, and government without without anything in that land that is hostile to that king. Okay? So so part of the the, the kingdom is the removal of everything that is contrary to the kingdom. Part of a huge aspect of what it means to experience the kingdom of God. A huge, in fact, the majority of what we see David doing. What did David do? David, I mean, to say it really crassly, David killed a whole bunch of people that God said had no right to be in that land. David was a man of bloodshed, in God's own words. David 
started off his thing in Israel, killing Goliath. Then went out in raids and killed tons of Philistines. What are Philistines? Their flesh in the land that has been given to spirit. That's what Philistines are. Philistines are big, fleshy obstacles in a land that belongs to Israel. Now, I know that if you look at this from a natural perspective, it's the stories are kind of gross and sad, and people say, why does God do this? And, you know, the fact of the matter is those people were rebellious and wicked and, and going to die anyway. <laughs> God happened to use their, their death, their manner of death, to paint us a picture of a, of a life and of an increase. And, and I know that you can get all kind. Of, people get all you know, kind of sentimental and emotional about the fact that David went through. And how could this man worship God with this tender, soft heart and fall on his face before the Lord and weep and then go out and kill like five hundred people? Well, um, I'd have a hard time doing that. But that—that's not what. That those aren't even aren't even the real questions that are supposed to come to mind when we read this. I mean, I, I don't exactly know how the emotions of David were working when he did those kind of things. But I do know that what he did and the reason he did it was according to the purpose of God to show us the kingdom. And, and, and one of the primary things that we're supposed to realize about the kingdom of God is that it is an exclusive reign. It doesn't tolerate two seeds in one land. It doesn't tolerate a fleshly uncircumcised seed that always wants to push back Israel, always trying to take back the land that Israel's taking from them. Whenever they weren't walking in covenant, that's what the Philistines were doing, taking back the land. But when they were walking in covenant, when they were living according to the kingdom, you see this land that is totally coming to be conquered by life. You see a life, you see a king, a nature that is filling up. It's not just David killing it for his own sake. David is expanding the boundaries of Israel. He's expanding, he's expanding the boundaries of that place where God is being worshipped, God is being ministered, and a people are being transformed into his image. He's actually enlarging, enlarging the boundaries of that reality. So wherever Philistines are removed, there Israel sets up this relationship of worship, ministry, and purification. That, that, that's established. All the way uh, till the, the end of David's life and the beginning of uh, Solomon's reign, where the main characteristic of Solomon's reign is... Well, wisdom is one of them, but wisdom and peace, peace, no war, no, nothing left in the land for 40 years, nothing that is hostile to the government, not a single war. That's how his reign was established. There was no war in the days of Solomon. There were no enemies. There were no Philistines. They were gone. The boundaries of Israel belonged to the Lord. And there was peace. And there was righteousness in the law. Uh, there was a king reigning in wisdom and a people that were benefiting from the wisdom of the king. 
and 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 no one says it better than the queen uh, uh, of Ethiopia, the queen of the south, who comes up and says, First uh, Corinthians, First uh, Kings, I think eleven, says, looks at Sam. Remember that's the story of Sam, uh, Sam, Samson, uh, Solomon, and, and 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 her breath. She says that she has no more breath left in her, and and she and she she says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the, it's like Job, you know, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and the half was not told to me. And then, and then in, the, in the stupor, she says, it is because God loves Israel that he has made you king over this people. I, that's like one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's what, what is the nature of God's love for this people? Making this man king over the entire land. That's, that's how he loves you. What did he do? How does he love you? He eradicates your soul. He eliminates everything contrary to a government so that everything that you're experiencing in your soul is the increase of this government. That's what he does. And, and queen, the queen of the south, and Jesus, you know, he, he, he kind of... Uh, Praises her in a sense for, for for this later, you know, hundreds of years later, Jesus says the queen of the south will will judge this wicked generation, in in a sense, meaning her life, her words, her testimony is, is a contradiction to what's going on. And this, you know, because she came from far away, she saw her, she had no life left. She fell as a dead man, so to speak, and said, and, and this. And, and let me let me let me just read it because I I think I'm not quite getting it right, and I just want to maybe be good to see it. First uh, Kings, eleven ish. Um, no, no, ten, ten. Yeah, he says. Well, I'm going to start in uh, in verse five is where it says. There was no more spirit in her. That's where it says that when the queen perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, blah, 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 there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. Isn't that just exactly how it is when you see the Lord? And behold... The half was not told to me. You exceed in wisdom, wisdom and prosperity the report which I had heard. How blessed are your men. And this is where she starts realizing that, that the, the, what could be better than to sit in the presence of this king? You know, to actually live in his government, his reign. How blessed are your men and blessed are your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And then she gives the king everything she has. I, that brings tears to my eyes. I mean, because the Lord... What's the definition of the love of God? I'll tell you, one way you can say it is He set His King to govern your soul. He gave you the, 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 the ability to stand in His presence forever. That's what He did. And that's... I mean, that's... That's awesome. That is so... That is so awesome. Um, I'm not sure if I have time to get into this next thing here. Yeah, well, I, I'll just say, I'll just say about Christ. Christ, 
came. And this kingdom that's prefigured here, David and Solomon, and there's others too, but, but they were always compared to, to, to this. They were always, you know, like um, Hezekiah was a great king. But, but why was he great? He walked in the footsteps of his father David. He, 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 he lived according to this pattern, the pattern of Christ. You know, David is the pat. I mean, David messed up a bunch of times. I'm not saying David was perfect by any means. No one was. You know, whenever, whenever God, let me just say this too, because this can be confusing. Whenever God um, praises something or anyone, whether it's David or, or Noah or whatever, he's only ever praising the extent to which something lines up with the testimony of Christ. It's not ever praising the nature that's working in that. Because if you look at the nature that's working in David, whenever it was expressed, it was ugly. Only when David was walking by faith and, and becoming a testimony of things to come was God like, that's it, that's good, that's it right there. Did you see that? that, don't, that don't look at David's heart. But, but you know, this, this, in this man you'll see an, a reflection of my kingdom and, and this and that. And, and some of those things we don't understand because we think like, man, God's kingdom is a bunch of bloodshed. Well, yeah, for, for the flesh it is. It is. But when God... You know, for instance, when it says of Noah, and Noah found grace in God's eyes. And God begins to deal with Noah according to pictures and shadows of Christ. The one in whom one creation is destroyed and another creation comes out, you know. Or, or, or whatever, whoever it is. Whatever, whoever he praises. He, they're, they're praised for being part of this, this picture, this testimony. And so Jesus, um, Jesus comes and... He said, the kingdom of God has come. Where was it? Where, where was the kingdom of God that had come? Well, it was only for, 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 for those three and a half years, or I guess 33 years, but for, for three and a half years of ministry, the kingdom of God was really only in one place. I mean, in other words, the environment, where was the environment where God Almighty had perfect alignment, congruency in, in, in a man? There's only one place where that was actually walking around. And that was in Christ himself. And, and that's why what he was doing, everything he, everything he did was an outward testimony of that kingdom. Whether it was casting out demons or healing the sick. Everything he said was an invitation to that kingdom for everyone that, that would humble their hearts. You know, he, he was inviting them to, to, to come to that kingdom. All of his parables, you know, the, the sower and the seed. What, what was they ask him? What was the seed? It's the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, going into different kinds of souls. He was trying to offer what he was and what he was experiencing. He was trying to offer the world that government, that reign of God in the soul. Never making you God, but but allowing you to come to Him in such a way that you say, Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, He made you king to do justice and righteousness. That's what He's inviting you in. He's, he's letting you be the queen of Sheba. Except in an inter... But, but, but with a change. There's a... There's a there's a change here in nature and in place. 
And that's what Jesus came to offer. And, and that's, I just want this to hit you so hard. I really, I just want to like smack it over, over your heads in some way. That's because it, because it just, it just strikes my heart. It's so, that's what, that's what, that's the one thing that he kept saying. Guys, the kingdom of God is here. The time has been, the first thing, the first red letters in the book of Mark. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So I'll stop with that. Um.